Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, and welcome to Plus Plus Podcast. My name is Jason Kebler, and this is a brand new show from Motherboard, Vice Media's science, technology, and culture site. And I'm Ankita Rao, an editor here at Motherboard. Plus Plus Podcast is a show about humans and machines that are shaping our culture and future every day. This first episode takes you to Canada, where Motherboard reporter Jordan Pearson and producer Katie Jensen tell the story of Sam Maloney, a hacker who was killed by the police. When the first shot hit him, it hit him in the chest. And then they shot him in the face. Why would they shoot him in the face after he's already on the floor in a sitting position? Does that even make sense? He's, he's sitting on the floor in a sitting position, looking as if he's dead or out of it, right? And yet they shot him in the face. What, that sounds like an execution to me. Sam Maloney looks like he could be 21. He's surrounded by more than a dozen baby-faced university freshmen, dressed to the nines for their dorm room photos. Everyone is making a silly face, including Maloney, and one student looks to be pre-drinking. He looks happy and excited to be starting a new chapter in his life with his new friends. But Sam Maloney wasn't 21, despite what he told his friends in residence at Western University in London, Ontario. In reality, he was a 35-year-old freelance developer with a common-law wife and a house across town and a baby. On December 23, 2016, Sam Maloney was shot dead by police in his home during an early morning raid. He allegedly fired a crossbow, injuring an officer, and while he was on the phone with his lawyer, police shot and killed him. It was the first police shooting death in London in 17 years, and raises questions about the appropriate police response to cybercrime. His wife, Melissa Facciolo, saw him die, and so did their two infant sons. Melissa was on the ground, cowering, so she could hear what's happening, but she was terrified. And, um, she left to go look at the children. That's Melissa's lawyer, Phil Millar. I have issues with the decision to do a pre-dawn forced entry raid to, to seize a computer, regardless of the actions of Mr. Maloney. You know, the, the decision-making behind it to raid a house with a six-month-old child and a two-year-old child uh, in that manner is overly militaristic and I think uh, reflective of bad judgment. Sam's reaction was to fire a crossbow at police, and moments before he died, he called his lawyer. 
I think, well, he called him and asked him what to do. And Nick said, cooperate. And the la- his last words were okay. So why were the police there at all? While the police won't comment on any aspect of this story due to an ongoing investigation, according to Millar, they suspected him of hacking a local cinema's website and defacing their homepage with a racist manifesto called The Declaration of the Independence of Atlantis. Just two days before the hack, Maloney posted a rambling screed with a similar title to his Facebook page. Even more damning was the fact that he was working on the theater's website at the time. Sam Maloney is dead, leaving behind only questions about who he was. How did a quiet, talented computer programmer who was going back to school as a mature student end up dead? Now that the shooting is being investigated by Ontario's Special Investigations Unit, key details of the shooting will remain under wraps until their investigation concludes in the coming months. The question on everybody's mind now is, who was Sam Maloney? To understand Maloney's state of mind, you have to start by looking at his software. Sam Maloney created Morphous, an open-source, distributed piece of software that allows users to upload and share files while encrypting them, so that they cannot be spied on by third parties. Within Morphous, Maloney also created an encrypted messaging service called D-Mail, and a spam-resistant protocol called D-Push. And he did all of this before he ever enrolled at Western University, and without any formal academic training. According to his father, Peter, Maloney displayed an uncanny talent for programming at an early age. I knew that he was really talented when he was around nine, ten years old. I came home from work one day, and he, uh, he had the Commodore 64. He wanted to make sprites move around on the screen. And he said, uh, you know, how do I do that? And I said, well, you have to learn hexadecimal and binary math. And he said, okay, show me, you know. And I said, you don't even know decimal math yet. <laughs> You know what I mean? It wasn't long before the younger Maloney had outstripped his father's coding abilities. One day I come home, and he has sprites going all over the place. In other words, he learned so quickly, he could convert binary numbers into hexadecimal numbers practically in his head. And he was just like 10, 11 at that time now, you know. But Morphus wasn't just an encrypted peer-to-peer file sharing system or a messaging system. It was his passion. On his website, read here by a vice staffer, he wrote, This is my purpose in life. I have found my calling. I have a vision, and I am seeing it through until the end. Maloney's friends and collaborators will tell you that Morphus is a good piece of software that works as advertised. Over an email, read here by a vice staffer, Morphus collaborator Klaus Seistrup said, You install it, and it works as announced. Morphus worked flawlessly as a distributed data store, meaning you could store files in Morphus's database and other users would be able to retrieve the files at their end, provided they knew the file's address. And you could send encrypted messages to other users of Morphus. And that was exactly how Sam had pimped it. But according to Klaus, despite Sam's dedication, his behavior was erratic. Sam had very productive streaks. I recall telling him several times to make sure he also got some sleep because at times he seemed to be awake for 24 hours or more, although of course I cannot know for sure. But then, he would disappear for days or even months without announcing it. 
It's not like he had an obligation to tell us his whereabouts, but it was a strange experience to one day have a very productive programmer on the IRC channel telling us about all of his plans, and then that person goes AWOL all of a sudden. At that time, I decided I wouldn't be a part of the development anymore. I'm not sure I would have wanted to associate with him had I known what I read today. What Klaus is referring to is Sam's troubling writings under the online username Morphus Creator. Let us not destroy the human diversity under the guise of celebrating it. It is not the African, Arabs, etc. who actively are attacking our bloodline. It is the parasites who usurped control of our nations and opened our borders to fund wars in the others' countries driving them here. I am hereby calling for all races to unite in a worldwide revolution. He wanted to create a new digital democracy called the Nation of Atlantis, based on Ayn Rand's book, Atlas Shrugged. This decentralized society with no leaders would work towards racial segregation with Morphus at its core. But these ideas weren't isolated to his online life, and Sam's friends say that it often bled into their offline conversations. This is Rian Basson, Sam Maloney's friend and confidant while attending university, and the former president of the Libertarian Party of Canada. I mean, whenever Morphus came up, the larger ideals always came. We always ended up, you know, a lot of times disagreeing about those things. But, yeah, it, there was always some kind of, like, bigger topic as- associated with it, to keep a, a grander perspective in mind. Things like immigration, and, and, you know, again, like, I don't want to, like, put words in his mouth and say things against someone then, but he, he was generally not in favor of it, and, and I, I am very much. There'd be those kinds of things. I'm thinking they must they must have been very integral because it, it seemed to certainly have motivated him a lot. We had a lot of disagreements, but you know, he, he would often tell me that I'm 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 one of his only friends that shares completely diverging viewpoints to many of his. Morphus and Maloney's other projects suggest a paranoid mentality and an anti-authority bent. It appears the project and his online persona were a way to exercise some of his demons and darker, grander ideas. On Morphus's website, Maloney wrote, I am doing this all for free, for all humanity, because I hate evil. He was a hacker, but he, he kind of tried to live some of that a little bit in his own residence. And the principle is the same, I think, that he was espousing online. It was just mm. at the micro level. If he did something like walking down the street with his black outfit on or something if the cops came up to him he said i have certain rights i don't have to answer all their questions you know or whatever he felt that sometimes the police went overboard after sam completed his first year at western university in may of 2016 he decided not to return to school the following term that summer maloney displayed a number of escalating behaviors in the months leading up to the incident well, a few of the neighbors complained that they weren't cutting their lawn. It was a couple feet tall at the time, and the city ended up coming through and did a bunch of work, made it look nice, and they never did anything. Just let it regrow, and the city came back, redid it again, and huh. that was it. That's Mike Erling, their neighbor. The Morphous blog paints this incident in a dark light, calling the city's behavior harassment and describing the workers as thugs, but Elias Balch, another of Sam's neighbors, recalls the incident differently. Uh, I was in Alberta when that happened. I got the story from my parents. Apparently they, or someone called the city, the city came and they were in the backyard. 
cut in the grass, and then he hopped out. He had like a pipe in his hand, threatening to swing the city workers, so they took off. But sometimes we'd see him running around in the summertime with like a, a parka on and a balaclava going, and just strange stuff like, one time my parents were out eating dinner in the backyard and he's on his roof just sweeping away pine needles. That was like a while ago. He'd become even more like seclusive recently, so. When he moved in, he was out sometimes like, it seemed a little, like a more of a normal neighbor then, but. The grass thing is interesting. So Sam, from a, a very smart man, who looked at the bylaws and said, you're allowed to have a meadow. So we grew his grass long and they came and tried to force him and he, you know, he proved them wrong by their own bylaws, but they don't like that. He had a history of, of uh, standing up to authorities and often legitimately was, was correct in it. That same summer, Maloney went to a Buddhist temple. His motivations are unclear, but once he was there, he wouldn't leave. Samuel was kind of spiritual. I guess he was searching for God, you know what I mean? He got into philosophy and religions. He seemed to be looking, you know what I mean? Police were called and removed him from the temple. Maloney says he sustained numerous injuries during the arrest, which he then documented and photographed on the Morphous blog. No charges were laid. It wasn't the first encounter with police where Maloney ended up on the losing end. In 2007, police raided his home and found registered firearms and thousands of rounds of improperly stored ammunition, for which his wife received a 10-year weapons ban. The police broke into his house once before, right? And they did a lot of damage. You know, he never got compensated for it or anything. And he felt, you know, this is not fair. The police shouldn't be able to do that, you know what I mean? I mean, they broke in and all they found was that there was guns not stored properly. He had licenses, he had everything proper, you know what I mean? It's just that they weren't stored correctly. And that's all that it was, you know what I mean? They broke the frame to the front door and the door itself was broken. And same this time, the friggin' whole thing is all busted to pieces again. You know, it's like a repeat of the last time, right? In the month that he died, Maloney allegedly defaced the website of one of his clients with a rambling, racist manifesto called the Declaration of Independence of the Nation of Atlantis. The owners of the cinema declined to comment, and the theater's homepage was not archived on the day of the act, but a similarly titled message on his Facebook wall reads, How do you genocide a species? Simple. First, brainwash the population to stop breeding. Tell it that the world is overpopulated, children are work instead of joy, etc. Attack the population's prezygotic isolation by removing the gene flow barriers that are the discriminating immigration laws of their own countries. Make sure to call the species desire to exist, racist. Brainwash the population to hybridize with foreign genetics you flood into their lands. According to lawyer Phil Millar, this incident was the catalyst that led to police kicking down Maloney's door in the early morning hours of December 23rd, ultimately ending in his death. Maloney's neighbor, Elias Balch, said he was awoken by the raid in the early morning of December 23rd. I was in bed, but awoken pretty abruptly with loud noise and, and light. My room was just flashing with lights. So I came down, was scoping it out through the window. Didn't see any shots or anything. I'm sure that was inside. There was lots of police. The SWAT team going around, but they didn't have their guns on. Out. I don't know what woke me up. It was a loud noise. It could have been yeah. them kicking the door or could yeah. have been the shots. So. 
The Maloney home is a small, red brick affair, massively dwarfed by large houses on either side. The walk up to the door is flanked by big, healthy hedges, and a thick sheet of snow on the walkway remains undisturbed by footprints. The white front door has two large dents from the police's forced entry and a loosely hanging sign instructing visitors to use the back door. Since police have not publicly commented on the incident, what happened inside the house that morning is unclear. But a timeline, quilted together from media reports and from his wife Melissa Facciolo's account, relayed through her lawyer and Maloney's father, paints a disturbing picture. According to Millar, Maloney and Facciolo were looking at house designs online while the children were asleep at approximately six in the morning. Unexpectedly, police forcibly entered the home. The shock of, of having the door kicked in is something that you can't really explain until you experience it. It's, it's terrifying. The couple kept a crossbow in the house. You can get a crossbow anywhere, right? Canadian Tire. Hmm. Maloney allegedly fired a crossbow bolt at the officers, injuring one. Then, with police still there, he got on the phone with his lawyer, Nick Cake. Cake instructed Maloney to put up his hands and cooperate, which Maloney acknowledged. According to Cake, the scene sounded chaotic, but Maloney sounded calm. What I can tell you is that she had said that in the last couple of weeks, Sam had just been very, very mellow and, and kind. And she said in that, in that particular morning, they had just put a, a deposit down on a piece of property. You know, it brings her to tears, but it was as peaceful a morning as she, she had had looking at house designs. While Maloney was still on the phone with his lawyer, four shots rang out. Like they could have tasered him or they could have, with all those police in there, they could have tackled him. Because from what I understand from, you know, from Melissa, at the point where they shot him, the, the firing of this crossbow took place before that. And when he was standing in the doorway, he had nothing in his hands. He didn't have any guns or crossbows or anything in his hand when they shot him. Why did they have to shoot him when he had nothing in his hands? I know that she, she'll say that she saw him shot twice in the chest, mm-hmm. fall to his knees, and then was shot in the face. You know, if you know this guy is kind of standing up to authority successfully, mm-hmm. right, and you just need to seize a computer, then it also factors in why poke a bear. Not that he was a bear, but you know what I mean? Like, Well, you know, I feel that 21 policemen in a small house like that with two kids and firing bullets, you're talking two small children. And to my knowledge, uh, the two kids actually saw all the blood and saw him being shot, you know. That doesn't seem right, you know. The most puzzling aspect of Maloney's story, and the detail that has led to the belief that he was living a double life, is the time he spent in a first-year university program, allegedly telling his classmates that he was 21. But Sam's family, including his father and his wife, knew he was in university, and that he had a room in residence. This double life thing, uh, what do you mean by a double life? A secret life? Like he was doing something? Like I knew that he was going to university, and I knew that he was in uh, residence, right? Samuel is the type of person, when he's working on his software, you can't distract him, you know what I mean? And I think the reason that he went to you know, live in residence is because he's very serious about his studies, and with a new baby at home, you know, he couldn't work with the baby crying and all this kind of stuff, you know what I'm saying? He knew his stuff inside out without going to university, 
but started to discover that uh, most jobs wanted a degree, you know what I'm saying? Western University knew he was 35. So why was he telling everyone at school that he was 21? At home, Sam was introverted, quiet, and serious. But at school, he would party with freshmen a decade his junior. This is the one part of his story that nobody can seem to make sense of. Well, that surprises me about the fact that he went to all the parties at the university, I guess, and socialized because he was not normally a person who socialized. He just wasn't that kind of a person. He would get so absorbed in his software and what he was doing, you know, he'd exhaust himself on certain things, you know what I mean? I had to tell him, I said, go on out and do something else, you know. But his school friend, Rian Basson, has one explanation for his unexpected behavior. Shortly after they first met in 2014, Maloney approached Basson, who was a student at university then, for advice. According to Basson, Maloney broached the topic of getting a degree for the purpose of getting a job. But what he was really after was a romanticized ideal of university life. He definitely seemed like, you know, he might have been depressed or, or something. I always thought that he was finding ways of sort of like getting out of it. And, you know, he thought that he'd be able to immerse himself in a, in a world where, you know, people were maybe a bit more curious than, than it turned out to be. He wanted to be around sort of that environment, you know. Didn't ended up not finding it at the university. That was sort of what he was after. Sam's own writings on the Morphous site suggest that he turned to software and perhaps university, not just to build what he perceived to be a better world, but to assuage a deeper unease. Maloney wrote on the site, Later in life I realized I was very unhappy, both due to the state of the world and the boredom of being just a business programmer in an enterprise world, even in architect roles. During his time in residence, there wasn't a single complaint filed against Sam, and one dorm mate described him as an intelligent guy. After he left university, Sam's father said something about him seemed to change. Now, you know, at first, I, I admit at first, Samuel didn't seem very close to the kids, you know what I'm saying? But in the last couple of months, Samuel was getting very close with the kids. And that might have been because I was talking to him and I said, Sam, you don't, you don't even hardly hold McNeus, eh? You know, he comes over to you, and, but you don't even pick him up. And, and before you know it, you know, a few days after that, next time I was over there, he was actually holding McNeus, and McNeus was very happy, you know what I mean? Sam Maloney is dead. His motivations will always be shrouded in uncertainty, and the future of Morphus is murky. But the circumstances surrounding his death at the hands of police stand a much greater chance of being exposed. Since the Crown is pursuing a weapons charge against Melissa, based on the crossbow in the house, they will, at some point, have to disclose documents describing the events leading up to Maloney's death. After Sam was shot, police put Melissa into solitary confinement over Christmas. She was released after five days. You ask any mother who has a newborn that she breastfeeds, what would it be like to have that baby taken from you for one day? One day. Now ask her what it would be like to do that when you've just, while holding your two-year-old son ten feet away, seen your husband shot twice in the chest, once in the face, and then get ripped away from the two of them and spend five days in solitary confinement. You know, while arrangements are made to get a breast pump to relieve the pain. The SIU is expected to make disclosure in the coming days or weeks. In particular, 
Millar said he hopes to gain insight into the decision to seize Maloney's computer with a pre-dawn raid. Personally, I'd be surprised if they go ahead with this case. I don't think it would be the intelligent thing to do. Until then, the people caught up in Maloney's life, the city that has experienced its first police shooting in a generation, and the online community that watched his work with great interest are reckoning with what they thought they knew about the man. Thanks for joining us for our very first episode. You can find us on Twitter at Motherboard or on Facebook at Motherboard and let us know how you liked it. Thank you for listening to Plus Plus Podcast. You can find us on iTunes and all podcast apps at Plus Plus Podcast, all spelled out lowercase. Please tell your friends about us. This week's episode was produced by Katie Jensen and Jordan Pearson. I'm Jason Kebler and I'm here with Ankita Rao. We were edited this week by Katie Jensen. Our awesome podcast art is by Che Saita. And our theme music is by Paul Chin. You can check us out every week on Fridays with brand new episodes and dispatches from around the world. See you next week.